Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to our program. My name is Ellie Nieves and I'm a women's leadership speaker, writer, and coach. I'm also the founder and president of Leadership Strategies for Women. Through my speaking and coaching programs, I help individuals and organizations to develop leadership skills and set strategic goals that will help them to achieve their vision for success. For more information, you can visit my website at www.leadershipstrategiesforwomen.com. The title of our program today is Strategies to Reinvent Yourself, and our guest is Dr. Shirley Davis. Dr. Shirley Davis, affectionately known as the career doctor and success coach, is an international speaker, author, and leadership career strategist. She's also a diversity expert. She has more than 15 years of experience in human resource management, and has led much such functions as training and development, diversity and inclusion, recruiting, change management, and leadership development. She travels across the country and internationally speaking at conferences, conventions, and leadership off-sites on issues regarding global talent development and diversity management. Dr. Davis holds a bachelor's degree in pre-law, a master's degree in HR management, and a PhD in business management with a special expertise in leadership development. She recently joined the prestigious faculty of Georgetown University as an associate professor in the Master's Program of Human Resources and Diversity Management. Dr. Davis, welcome to the show. Good evening. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you on, Dr. Davis. And besides what I've shared today, can you share a little bit about your background? Uh, yeah, again, I've been in HR field for nearly 20 years, and I really enjoy working with people. I enjoy seeing them grow and develop and really tap into their greatness and see their strengths and their dreams and their talents and their gifts fully utilized. And, you know, I think it's important, you know, as um, as I learn and as I, you know, move through life and achieve levels of success and life lessons learned that we teach other people as well. And so that's my part of giving back is being in the HR field. It's all about helping others to succeed, whether it's in organizations or whether it's in a community or just, you know, personal one-on-one personal development, and I enjoy that. Um, I have a, a 16-year-old daughter, and um, she is uh, a singer. She's a junior now looking at colleges, and so that's pretty exciting for me. Um, and, you know, some of my hobbies outside of the two or three different jobs that I have um, is I, I'm a pageant buff. I love to attend pageants. I've been in pageants most of my life, held a number of national, state, and uh, local titles, and um, I'm also an avid reader and uh, working on my book right now. And actually my book is entitled um, Game-Changing Strategies for Reinventing Yourself. So, Wonderful, wonderful. So, Dr. Davis, you have accomplished quite a lot in your life. Can you share with us what drives you to succeed? Uh, a number of things. I think just my own personal, um, you know, sense of who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. I think it's important to understand what your purpose is, what you're, what you're created to do. And I understood that at a very early age. I understood what my gifts and my talents were, and it allowed me to begin to really pursue my dreams and to live a life of fulfillment and purpose. Uh, very early on. You know, I always say that, you know, people who don't understand their purpose and don't understand their dreams, oftentimes they will die at 30 but not get buried until age 75. But it's because they go through life aimlessly, they're directionless, 
They're seeking a void, trying to fill a level of emptiness and never really understand what their purpose is. And too many times, too late in life, people then want to do things that they wish they would have done 20 and 30 years ago. So that's one of the things that drives me is knowing what my real true purpose is in life. The other thing that drives me, quite frankly, is is seeing my daughter, you know, grow and develop into a, a beautiful, talented young lady and being able to teach her the same kind of life lessons. Um, and I think what also drives me is, you know, going from one milestone to another milestone and just seeing my progress, my progression uh, move up and move around and move out and stretch myself and continue to grow. And so those are the, the kinds of things that I really coach other people, you know, to tap into, to really find what is your passion and what drives you. Um, and understand what success means to you. Great. Now, Dr. Davis, besides your our shared passion for leadership development, you and I also share something in common. We both uh, love pageants. I actually competed in various pageants myself uh, as a as a young woman and won several titles myself. Can you share with me how pageantry has helped you in your self confidence and getting ahead? Yeah, that, that's great. I didn't know that that was something that we shared, but it's uh, it's a passion of mine that started when I was about 12 years old, and I entered my first Miss National Teenager pageant, and I came in second runner-up, and I just kind of entered it on a fluke. They came, um, they left information at our school, and it was a scholarship pageant, and you could win you know, a certain amount of money. I thought, oh, cool, I could do that. Um, and I just started entering them, and it, I just caught the fever. It became really what I felt was, you know, the, you know, hobbies. I was very athletic, did basketball, ran track, played softball, but I was also very competitive, and this gave me another edge because I was also very um, talented, I think, in the area of speaking. And a lot of the pageants required you to be able to talk about yourself. I could certainly do that. It allowed you the opportunity to, whether it was, you know, showing poise and presence on stage, I could do that. So those are the kinds of things that as I was entering in the pageants, it allowed me the opportunity to hone those skills. And so they taught me a lot, and I give them a lot of credit to who I've become today because they allowed me um, to really learn more about myself. I had to really tap into my own personal sense of who I was, what I believed, why I believed it, what were my values, because then when you, you know, you get into these interviews and judges want to ask you all kinds of questions and they want to, you know, every, know everything from what you believe and what your platform is and how you want to change the world and uh, and what your career goals are, those kinds of things, it made me really do a lot of soul searching. So I became very self-actualized early on, knowing who I was and what I believed and why. Um, but it also, you know, taught me the art of winning and the art of losing. I lost a whole lot more pageants than I ever won, but I won the ones that counted. I learned how to be uh, very competitive and looking for ways to capitalize even on my strengths when I, and weaknesses. Let me give you a quick example. I'm, I'm a petite woman. So I'm only five feet tall, but I was competing in pageants that were mostly Caucasian women, beautiful, blonde, green-eyed, you know, uh, very, mm -hmm. very built. I was a very short African-American, you know, short hair and, and brown eyes. But what I right. found to be my strength and my uh, critical, uh, I think, success factor and that differentiated me from my competition was that I knew how to speak. I interviewed very, very well. I was very poised. And I focused more on my uh, interview skills than I did on getting a tan and, you know, trying to find the best swimsuit and putting, you know, all kinds of things on my body. Mm -hmm. 
and it's funny because it was the same with me. I think that the, the what always helped me most was being articulate, being able to communicate, knowing what the issues, the hot issues were of the day, and always having a, a strong opinion. And you're right, it really does help to shape your mind. It really does help to develop you on a personal level. I think that's the side of pageants that a lot of people don't see. That's true. So here we are now. You're very uh, motivated, and you went into the field of diversity. What motivated you to go into the field of diversity? Well, I'll tell you, like most people who are in this field will probably tell you, uh, when I say this field, I mean the field of HR is pretty broad, and you know, a lot of us who are in this uh, work, in this profession, um, were sort of drafted into it. So I never woke up one day, even when I was in pageants and had to know who I was and what I wanted to do when I grew up, I never said I wanted to be an HR professional. I never said I wanted to be a chief diversity officer. I mean, I was actually, I went to the University of Maryland in College Park, and I majored in pre-law. So I thought I wanted to be a state's attorney and a, a family court judge. But, you know, as life would have it, as new doors open, as you build new relationships and, you know, as you take on new opportunities, you know, it just kind of takes you down a path that I believe that, you know, God has a path for all of us. And so as those opportunities come, you know, I went through those doors, and it led me to what I believe was what I was called to do, and that was this area of, of human um, development and um, and diversity and inclusion. And, you know, even though it wasn't something I felt I was going to do at an early age. Once I got the opportunity, I found my niche, and I said, wow, this is exactly what I was supposed to be doing. This is some of the things that I went through, some of the preparation, the you know, even my education, and a lot of the things that I had done uh, in my lifetime prepared me to do some of the work that I'm doing right now. It's helping to change mindsets. It's helping to impact lives. It's speaking about important topics that people care about. It's about helping others to get a larger vision for themselves. It's helping organizations to build strategies to embrace change and to look at people who they traditionally or conventionally, historically, might have looked at as underrepresented or marginalized or trivialized and helping them to see them in a very, very different light. So, you know, it's a great work uh, to be do- to, to be in to be doing, and I feel like it's really impacting not just, you know, individual lives, but I believe I'm impacting organizations. Great. And what are some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome in achieving your goals? Oh, lots of them. Um, You know, certainly being an African-American and being a a female, I think, has its own uh, barriers and its own obstacles. I've worked in corporate America all of my life. And I've always gone into um, positions where it was the I was the only one that looked like me. Um, when you do this kind of work, especially as a chief diversity officer, the name diversity itself, diversity officer, and you're uh, an African American female, you know, already s- sends up kind of red flags to people who have different experiences or have had. Um, there's been some historical um, filters that they, you know, have. Um, live their lives through, and, you know, social values that they've learned in different regions of the world and different pockets of, of our country, there's still a lot of stereotyping and prejudices and biases. So I dealt with some of those. Um, and, and, you know, on the flip side of that, I've also dealt with obstacles of success. And so when I was, you know, Miss Oklahoma or I went on to win Miss Virginia when I relocated for a job uh, in, in Richmond, 
I won Miss Richmond and then I won Miss Virginia and then I went on to win the national title of Miss America United States. There came obstacles with that as well. You're always going to have haters. You know, success brings you know, envy, and sometimes it'll bring jealousy, and you'll just have people who they don't know why they don't like you. They don't know why they're trying to stop you. It's just that they, you know, they will oftentimes just not like who you represent or, you know, the fact that you're successful and accomplished something that they haven't. So it's been those kinds of obstacles. It's been the obstacles of being a single parent and some of the challenges that go along with those kinds of demands and the challenges of sometimes not always having the support system that you need in place. I've had financial obstacles and challenges. I've had career setbacks and working for really bad bosses and, you know, people who I was much more qualified than they were and I was working for them and and actually training them to do what I actually already knew how to do. So there's a number of obstacles, but they have shaped me and they've helped build me and I should say springboard me to the next level in my career and that's one of the reasons why I went to pursue a Ph.D. I committed to myself and, you know, said that by the age of 40 I wanted to have my Ph.D., but that was one of my main drivers. Not only did I want my daughter to, you know, I wanted to be a role model to her and set a great example, but really at the core of that it was I wanted to take away all the excuses of bosses and business leaders and anyone else who gave me reasons why I couldn't and reasons why I shouldn't and reasons why you know, I didn't get the promotion or didn't get the job. I wanted to take all those excuses away, and I felt getting a Ph.D. with all the other experiences and all the other hoops that I had jumped through and the carrots that I had chased after, that that would take away, you know, those obstacles. Well, congratulations on achieving so much. Um, so you recently wrote an article on five strategies to reinvent yourself in 2011. Can you share some of those strategies with our listeners? Absolutely. It's going to be uh, coming out, uh, actually, I think next month in the Diversity Woman magazine. But I think it's important that everyone think about, you know, as your you know, your year closes and it's an ending, but it's also a new beginning. And it's so important to think about the year before from a personal introspection um, perspective. So, you know, every year I get away the last two weeks of the year and I will either go away to an island or I'll just go check in a hotel somewhere or, you know, this time I did a staycation, but I had my daughter go stay with my parents. And it's just an opportunity for me to really invest back into me and reflect, look at what the year, you know, uh, uh, before me held, what was really great about it, what was I proud of, uh, and then also looking at uh, and reflecting on what things do I want to accomplish for the coming year. What's so important is that everyone really needs to have what I call a life plan, not a New Year's resolution, but you need to have a life plan. What is it that you want to accomplish in your life? You know, in the few years that we have here on earth, what legacy do we want to leave behind? What do we want to show as the reason why we existed? And what do we want to leave to the next Generation And so those all play into this article that I wrote about reinventing yourself for 2011. And I listed for them five strategies, although there were more. It's just that the article was, was limited in space. But one of the first things that I talk about in that article was redefining success. And that's really critical because, you know, it couldn't be at a more appropriate time to be talking about reinventing yourself because we've just come out of, you know, a, a huge recession, a deep recession right. that, you know, as they say, was one of the worst global economic 
um, setbacks that we've had since the Great Depression of the 30s, but we saw major mm-hmm. rations collapse. We we saw double-digit unemployment and even higher among African Americans, and we saw devastating job loss, home foreclosures, overwhelming debt, people lost their life savings. And so there's a lot to reflect on of what's really important to me. Okay, if I define success as having a great house or a big house or having a lot of money, having a great job and having a nice car and all of that, if that's all now been taken away, how do you now define success? So I think people are at a critical, what I call a critical crossroads. We're at a crisis at the crossroads where we really do have to make decisions in our lives and decide, are we going to continue down the path that we've been? And if we are, has it been successful? Is it working for us? And if it's not, then what is it that we need to do differently? And so this is a time where I always say that, you know, you do three things when you're redefining success. You start first with redefining who you are, why you exist, and what strengths, gifts, and talents you have. What dreams do you possess? And what purpose? And so it's time to ask ourselves that thing, you know, about us. It's time to do that sort of personal self-discovery. So it's about redefining that. But it's also about reassessing our priorities and the direction and the path that we've taken so far and reflect on, you know, if it's not work, what's not working about it? You know, what attitudes do we need to change? What actions do we need to take, past and, you know, present? So that's a piece of it. And the third part of redefining success is reinventing and repositioning yourself for future. So what do I need to learn? What do what classes do I need to take? What additional skills do I need to, to gain? Um, I find that a lot of people have done that even as, you know, we've, we're now sort of in, in slow recovery mode from this recession. But when so many people were faced with job loss or even the potential of losing their jobs, so many more people went back to either get a degree or get a different kind of skill or learn something new, and that's so important. Some people open businesses, and this is things that they've been wanting to do all their lives. But, you know, I start out with this first strategy, it really is about looking at success and kind of redefining it. It may not be about the size of your wallet. It may not be about your bank account. It may not be about the job that was paying you six figures. It may not be about, you know, the the nice car that you drove and the the 5,000-square-foot house. Now, you know, success may look very different for you now. It just may be a matter of I've got my peace. I've got personal joy. I've got health and wellness in my family. You know, I've got at least friends that care about me. So success may look different, but it's important to look at success in every area of your life and not just at the sort of external materialistic things that we possess, but what about the other things like our spiritual foundation and the good friends and close family that's so important and the support system and the relationships that we build and, you know, having, you know, sanity and being able to live with yourself and who you are. So those are the areas um, that I look at in that first strategy. Now, the second strategy that I, um, I talked about in reinventing yourself really now goes more towards reassessing your personal vision and mission. And and that's an important piece as well, too, because I think, you know, again, as I go back to this whole piece of, you know, knowing who you are and why you were created, it's so significant. Too many people don't know who they are and, and what they were created to do. You know, Miles Monroe, who's a... Um, He's an internationally renowned best-selling author, and he's a lecturer. He's a pastor of the Bahamas Faith Ministries uh, International Fellowship. 
And he pointed out something that stuck with me years ago, and I think it's so important when you talk about reassessing your purpose and your vision, is he said the richest place on earth is not the rich gold mines in Ghana or the oil-rich lands in Saudi Arabia or Mexico, but you know where the richest place in the world is? It's the cemetery. It's the cemetery. And he said that I think it was so powerful. He said, there in the cemetery lie many dreams that were never attained, life-changing and motivating songs that were never sang, cures to cancer that were never known, even best-selling authors that were never published, businesses that were never started, and the list is endless. And so we all have dreams, and they're visual manifestations of our purpose and the seeds of destiny that's really planted in our hearts. And so understanding and sort of reassessing your purpose and vision is really important. You know, you thought that you were called to do one thing, and if the door has completely closed and if that's not, you know, what you're passionate about, that's not what drives you in the morning to get up, then that may not be, you know, what your real purpose and vision is. And so I I coach people all the time to make sure that they are thinking about what is their um, vision statement, you know, what is it that you live by? What is it for you that regardless of a, a new year coming in, it's not about a New Year's resolution because, you know, statistics tell us that 90% of us will break those New Year's resolutions by Valentine's Day. And right. so, you know, we, we and, and oftentimes it's because we're setting sometimes unrealistic goals or it sounds great or, you know, we don't really put the work in and we don't necessarily – um, put the willpower, we're not as committed to some of those. I say I want to lose weight in 30 days. Well, if you haven't lost weight in, in a whole year, 30 days is not going to necessarily be realistic for you. And so people get discouraged and they kind of fall off the wagon and, you know, they abandon um, their goals. But when you have a life plan and a life strategy and you understand what your purpose and your vision is, then it's easier to keep that commitment because that is what's going to drive you, you know, to, to get the work done. Um, the other thing, uh, the third um, strategy that I uh, listed for reinventing yourself in 2011 is to renew your mind. And it really is just one of the greatest enemies to success is our negative thinking and our negative attitude. You know, oftentimes, you know, I was looking, I was looking at reading a book the other night by John Maxwell, great book called The Difference Maker. And the thing mm-hmm. that separates us who are successful and those who are not successful has everything to do with our attitude, the way we look at life, the way that we approach problems, the way that we see situations. You know, there's too many people that see the glass half full, and um, excuse me, see the glass half empty versus half full. Well, you know, I'm the kind of person that, first of all, do we need to even sort of limit ourselves to a glass? And I'm, you know, being a Christian woman, I realize that I don't want just a half a full glass, that my cup runneth over, that I am abundantly blessed. And we can be abundantly blessed. And so I think retooling and reinventing even the way that we think, our attitude is so important. You know, Les Brown, who uh, I've traveled with for a number of years, and I know you've mentioned, Ellie, as well, that you've worked with him as well. One of the things that he always says is that your attitude would determine your altitude, it will determine how far you go, how high you can go, what you know, how what depths you can can reach. And I think that's so incredible, so critical that oftentimes we undermine our own ability to succeed because we talk ourselves out of our own success. We talk ourselves out of our dreams, or we allow other people's negative attitudes 
uh, to talk us out of it as well. I call those people around us, especially when you've got negative people with negative attitudes and, you know, they're constantly reminding you of what you can't do and why you shouldn't do it. And, you know, they're telling you, especially when it's coming from friends and parents uh, and your very closest family, you know, they're saying to you, you know, you can't do this and I remember when you were that and, you know, you can't sometimes um, step out of your limits, your limitations, because you're allowing other people to place them on you. But when you don't know your own purpose and your own destiny, other people will define it for you. And the you know the, the negative side of that is that oftentimes people will limit your potential. And so we've got to release and remove all those negative influences of other people. I call them NIOPs. Get rid of the negative influences of other people and begin to surround yourself with people in your life that will speak life that will speak goodness, that will speak strength, speak, and that will be supportive and encouraging to you. So that's the third one. Um, the fourth strategy of reinventing yourself for 2011 is to reprioritize some of your goals. You know, the most common reasons we were talking about with New Year's resolutions, the reasons that they're broken is because oftentimes the goals are unrealistic. You know, we always talk about setting smart goals. Well, that's so important when you're talking about reinventing yourself because you want to stay on track, you want to accomplish some things, whether it's, you know, progressive steps, incremental changes, you want to see that. And so it's so important for us to be realistic, but to be specific and to uh, make sure that the goals are measurable, make sure that they've got a time frame that's set on them. And I think what's, you know, what's not a part of that sort of SMART goals formula is that you need to have uh, the right people around you, the right support system to help you to also be able to accomplish your goals. And so, you know, you have to set some short-term goals as well as long-term goals. And I always tell people, make sure that they are, um, th- that you're celebrating, that they're set at a period of time where you can celebrate success along the way, whether that's quarterly, whether it's monthly, um, or, you know, at least um, you need to check in with your goals. I revisit mine at least once a month. I have a checklist of the things that I set. Um, when I talked about getting away for the two weeks at the end of the year and doing some reflecting, I literally will sit down with pen and paper because I think it's so critical to write your vision down and to make it plain. You have to have a, a strategy and set the goals to help you accomplish what your your plan is for the year, what your, what your vision is. And so for me, um, I write down what my financial goals are. I write down what my spiritual goals are, what my family and personal relationship goals are and what my career uh, and professional goals. And I think, you know, we all have to, in in each of those areas, strive to do better, strive to think better, strive to accomplish more and do more, and I think we'll we'll certainly receive more. So that's the fourth one. And then the last one is to reevaluate your relationships. And that is, again, very, very important because we all know that no one can achieve success alone. No one was created here in this world and this life to be alone. And I think that it's so important to build meaningful relationships that can yield uh, mutual benefits, and that's about having the right network that can help you increase your net worth. You know, I've always said that, you know, if you look at the five closest friends, the five closest people in your inner circle, 
You look at them. If you're the smartest one in your circle, you need to broaden your circle. You want to have people in your network that will help you grow, that will stretch your mind, that will broaden your perspective, that will sometimes challenge you, that will tell you when you're wrong and also encourage you when you're right. And so that network will determine your net worth, and I think that's a, a critical piece. And then the other part about reevaluating your relationships is to make sure that you are extricating toxic people out of your life. And those are people who are constantly taking and taking and taking from you, people who are using and abusing you, people who really don't mean you any harm. They don't have your best interests at heart. They don't have your back. They're there to um, sort of uh, be a predator versus uh, be a, uh, a supporter. And I think so the reevaluation of relationships, you should do that very often. I mean, we meet people all the time. Some people come into your life for one reason. Some people come into your life for a season. Some people are in your life for a lifetime. But you've got to be very selective and very strategic about who you allow in your life because it goes back to the other four strategies that I just talked about. They're going to be the catalyst to help you, one, redefine success, two, reassess your personal vision and mission, three, renewing your mind, and four, reprioritizing your goals. So those are the critical at least five steps that I would encourage everyone to at least do um, this year and begin to make it a yearly and a, a monthly and a daily practice in your life. Great. Dr. Davis, we're down to our last minute. Can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. They can certainly look me up on my website, mysuccessdoctor.com, and doctor is spelled out all the way, mysuccessdoctor.com, or they can email me at mysuccessdoctor at yahoo.com. Great. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for sharing these helpful strategies to help our listeners to reinvent themselves in 2011. And to all my listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the program, please go on to the Leadership Strategies for Women page on Facebook and drop me a note. Until next time, God bless. Happy New Year.